0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: What it is, Holmes.
1: We haven't produced a drunk episode since Christmas.
0: Oh my God. I
1: feel like it's time. It's February, so we've gone a whole month without having like a drunken episode.
0: Yeah, that's... People just...
1: seem to really like those, so we're going to keep pumping them out.
0: That's just because we haven't been recording ourselves. <laughs> It's <laughs> not to say we haven't drank since you're then. You're trying to
1: make us sound like we're alcoholics.
0: It's not true.
1: I'm not. You are. I'm not.
0: Well, I'm not.
1: Yeah, I kind not think you are.
0: I'm very functional. Well, the
1: first step is admitting you have a problem.
0: Yeah, and the second step is it's not really a problem.
1: Look, you can admit that you're an alcoholic, and I will admit that I'm a shopaholic.
0: Okay, I'll take that.
1: I was very happy today because my Valentine's present that I ordered for myself from you came and so that made me really happy. Yeah, oh it made yeah, me by happy the way too. thanks for letting me do that.
0: Yeah, thanks for already squaring up Valentine for me. <laughs>
1: You're welcome. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's the easiest thing to do is I me mean, just be like buy stuff you want.
1: Okay. Back me up on this, listeners. So Dylan doesn't understand the need for multiple like eyeshadow palettes. He's like, Well don't you just need like one or two?
0: Yeah, but you have like fifteen. And? I'm saying that is there that that many different moods for your eyeshadow?
1: Have you met me? Yeah. Are <laughs> there that true. many moods?
0: Well, I like you it. You
1: never quite know what you're gonna get with me, Dylan. You don't. It was like earlier today when we hadn't eaten anything and I was so hangry.
0: You were hangry,
1: and you were willing to go to great lengths to feed me because you were very concerned about your safety.
0: I went out of my way to make sure you were happy. Right and fed and fed because I knew it would outline the rest of my evening if I didn't
1: if you didn't feed me
0: if I didn't resolve you being angry,
1: you're making it sound like I'm really hymen,
0: well no, I just I know when it gets to a certain point, we need to do whatever she said. I have to sift through everything said and get like the the main point and go with it,
1: so you're saying you have to feed me, yeah, because I'm like a really vicious starving person.
0: In the manner that you need, that you said you needed, even though you wouldn't admit that you said it.
1: I don't know what that means.
0: But yeah. i was just
1: really hungry. There's other
0: guys out there that knows what I mean.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that... I'm very confused. I'm very straightforward about just I need some fucking food. Right. <laughs> like, God damn it, I just want a sandwich. Why isn't there a sandwich around?
0: But you needed it from a certain place and a certain style, but then you told me you didn't want that afterwards. Well, because yeah, because I didn't that want point, to
1: have to go there and go in. I'm very, ah, oh, you know I have anxiety. Right. And then on top of that, like, I knew, like, I was hosting trivia tonight, and I have to psych myself up to go into public and, like, you know, interact with people.
0: Yeah, you said you are saving your energy. I
1: to save my energy, yeah.
0: Right. So well, I why, couldn't
1: go in and, like, have food in a place.
0: That's why I went and did what you Don't said. Don't you understand? I did what you said <laughs> you wanted in the first place.
1: So okay, we're rambling here, but this is an acceptable amount of rambling. I mean, I feel like people who listen to us all the time, they know, they know how we are. They accept us.
0: Yes, yeah, they do.
1: They understand us.
0: Accept what are us. you
1: drinking? Let's do a beer report. What are you having?
0: Uh, well, the moment I'm doing, I'm a bit commercial. I'm having a Modelo.
1: But earlier you had some good craft beer, right? Oh my
0: God, I had um, um, I had a ultraviolet sour. From Frog Level Brewing. Is here it the in,
1: blueberry sour?
0: No, this was the ultraviolet sour.
1: But doesn't it have blueberry in it? I don't know. I think it's blueberry.
0: Yeah. Here at Frog Level Brewing in Waynesville, North Carolina.
1: Where I host trivia on Mondays at 6.30 if you're in the area.
0: Hello, name dropping.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: um, yeah, I've moved on and, uh, you know, now I'm commercial. That's I'm okay. drinking a Modelo.
1: A Modelo's good. I like the, is it the Chilada that has, like, the tomatoes? Oh, God, no. Those are the ones I like.
0: I can't do that. They're a
1: really good hangover beer.
0: Well, maybe, but... Like,
1: if you've been drinking, especially if you've been drinking for, like, multiple days in a row, and you're just, like, really fucked up, and you're like, God, something's wrong with me, and then you wake up, and you're like, oh, I feel like, shit, I'm not going to drink today, but then you have one of those, like, you feel better. Well,
0: that's <laughs> called Hair of the Dog, right?
1: I don't know. But I don't, yeah, I
0: don't do uh, Bloody Marys and shit. Oh, Bloody Marys are do I look like I'm fucking rich? That's rich people stuff. No,
1: it's not. Yes, it is. That's ridiculous.
0: Nobody has tomato and celery mixed with alcohol.
1: I do. Besides rich people. I like Bloody Marys.
0: Yeah, well. One of
1: the best Bloody Marys I've ever had was like a green tomato Bloody Mary with um, moonshine in it. It's,
0: what the fuck? Okay. It was really
1: good. Where was that at? Oh, I don't
0: know.
1: Some fancy fancy some- brunch. Some fancy, the
0: brunch place.
1: Yeah, it was really good.
0: You just fucking reinforced what I said earlier about it being rich people's shit. I ain't rich. you know what regular folk do? No. They crack a beer leftover from the night before and drink it.
1: Look, I'm married to you, so obviously I'm not rich. I just dated a lot of rich guys before I met you.
0: That's fine. <laughs> That's all right. I know what's up.
1: I'm having some cider right now. Because I really have to get off the beer. I feel like I have a wheat intolerance.
0: Oh, we know that you have a wheat yeah, intolerance.
1: Yeah, and I love beer, but oh my God, it just makes me feel terrible. So I'm having a local Bold Rock hard cider. This is the Rosé.
0: Yeah.
1: Thanks for picking it up for me, Dylan. That's
0: fine. You had one of those earlier.
1: Yeah, it's really delicious. I really like Bold Rock. My favorite is the seasonal. They have a blackberry cider. Yeah. Really fucking good. My favorite. They have a blood orange. Pretty good. It's pretty delicious as well.
0: Bald Rock pushing the limit.
1: Yeah, I like the rosé. It's pretty good. It's very crisp. It has a little bit of a berry finish. Nice. Okay. Not bad.
0: So okay, what are we so going to do now? this is like
1: our drunken thank you episode, kind of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a couple of different cases, and we're going to just deviate from our regular course of study. Yeah. Now, normally we talk about Appalachian true crime. And we really kind of avoid those, like, big boy cases that most, you know, true crime podcasts tackle. Well,
0: they've been done 50 times. They
1: have. Yeah. But there's some interesting stuff out there that we haven't really talked about. So we thought for a bonus, because we just love our listeners so much. We do. That we might just sort of touch on a few of these famous murder cases.
0: So which ones are we going to talk about?
1: Well, the first one we're going to talk about is... Probably one of the first documented murders in history okay, that well, we know of.
0: I don't think this is well known, though.
1: No, this is the Neanderthal murder, which happened mm, about 430,000 years ago.
0: Okay, so it's in the way, <laughs> way, way, way back machine. It
1: totally is. Okay. Okay. Now, this is, of course, not the very first you know, murder, but this is probably the first evidence we have of something. So let's get into this. Some 430,000 years ago, high in the Axtapurca Mountains, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's in northern Spain, a lethal assault was committed. The victim, a young adult Neanderthal, received two blows to the head just above the left eye. These were made by the same implement, but from different angles, suggesting maybe two separate deliberate strikes.
0: Oh, wow. At
1: some point after his or her death, the victim's corpse was then dropped down a 43-foot vertical shaft into a pit that was sort of within like this cave type of complex. Okay. This goes to show that whoever murdered this person was trying to dispose of the body.
0: This is crazy. This is like
1: the first premeditated murder that we have on record. Wow,
0: it's amazing they can tell this stuff.
1: The remains lay undisturbed until an international team of archaeologists discovered the site, and they dubbed it, and I didn't take Spanish in high school or college. I took French, so I'm sorry if I totally butcher this. Cima de los Huesos, which is the pit of bones,
0: was Ooh. discovered
1: in nineteen eighty
0: four. I think How you did good. How
1: sinister does that sound?
0: The, pit, the pit, of of bones. pit of bones. Can I pit of bones? It's like a
1: Norwegian death metal album.
0: It totally is. <laughs> To the church on fire! Pit of bones! Enter the pit of uh, bones! Put your brains
1: out, pit of bones! Okay. Okay. We like, um, Euronymous and that whole story.
0: I feel like he should have, like, stabbed back.
1: Oh, come on, Euronymous was a pussy. We won't get into that right now. We'll talk about Norwegian death metal some other time. Okay. okay. Here is some information. The victim's skull known as Cranium 17, was found smashed into 52 fragments among more than 6,500 bones belonging to at least 28 early human individuals unearthed from this underground cave.
0: So what the fuck? How did the rest of these people end up in the pit?
1: It's death metal, baby. They're all fucking put in the pit. The pit of bones. Okay,
0: Okay, so there had to be other bones in the pit to be the pit of bones. I get that.
1: Yeah, so we got 6,500 of those bones.
0: That's a lot of bones. Which,
1: by the way, you learned an interesting fact tonight. Which has more bones, the hand or the foot?
0: You said the hand, but I thought it was the foot. Well, it's the hand. Okay.
1: You've been schooled, bruh.
0: Yeah, and there are 206 bones in the human body.
1: I don't know.
0: I remember that from previous trivia.
1: Oh, I don't know. Maybe.
0: I think it's 206 or seven. I did not
1: major in anatomy and physiology. I don't
0: know. Okay. I
1: know nothing about science. Now, it's not clear how the bodies ended up there, but it is believed that they may have been deliberately deposited in the pit after death by their peers. So, this is just like a good burial ground. Okay. This suggests that early humans began burying or at least collecting their dead far earlier than scientists previously thought they did. Yeah. Scientific analysis of the victim's skull included a CAT scan and a 3D model, which led researchers to conclude that the owner of Cranium 17 had not died as a result of an accident, but had, in fact, died by violence inflicted by a fellow Neanderthal. Okay. So this may represent the first case of murder in human history that we know of.
0: The first documented case. Yes. So there was evidence of blunt force trauma Mm -hmm. to Skull 17's head. Yeah. Right? Right. Okay. So, um, that's very interesting. And um, it doesn't surprise me that cavemen and Neanderthals were fighting amongst themselves.
1: <laughs> 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 Skull smash. Make a moons.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: Now I'm like really into it.
0: Yeah, but I paint my
1: face white, put some black in my eyes.
0: Doesn't surprise me that even in the earliest gatherings of humans there was likely emotions like jealousy. Or you know, try or um I don't know, revenge things of that nature. That doesn't surprise me at all. Here are
1: some of the other earliest known murders. Are you interested in hearing about this? Yeah. In five thousand BC, in an early Neolithic settlement in southwest Germany, five hundred people, babies, children, and adults, are killed and cannibalized.
0: What the f okay?
1: Again, pretty male.
0: How do they know?
1: I don't know. Maybe it's called science and anthropology, and maybe there was records of it. Why are you asking me these questions? Is there
0: cave drawings of 500 kids oh, and babies game. and people and
1: <laughs> stuff? <laughs> um, between 392 to 201 B.C., in Ireland, two men are tortured and killed as part of a ritualistic sacrifice. Their bodies were dumped in a peat bog, and the mummified remains were found in 2003.
0: Fucking peat bog. That sounds awesome.
1: What's a fucking peat bog? I don't what know, but... What is a but, peat bog? Isn't peat, like, some kind of dirt or, like...
0: Yeah, it's like a, some kind of mixture of dirt, and, like, it's it's good, right? Peat moss?
1: Yeah, I think. Isn't that a thing? I don't know. Yeah, Someone but so, correct a
0: bog... A bog is a good place for a body to mummify, I'm going to guess.
1: Is a bog like a swamp?
0: Isn't it moist and, like, gross?
1: Yeah, I think so. What
0: about the bog of eternal stench That's from the labyrinth? That's all I
1: can think of. Me too. Is, when I hear the word bog, I uh, think of... Sir Didymus,
0: the bog of eternals, dance. and it's just like
1: every time they're stepping, it's just like farting. Yes, yeah, on the stones.
0: <laughs> Thanks for that.
1: You're welcome. Do you what want I... to sing a song from Labyrinth for us? You're pretty good at singing. Which one? Dance magic Which
0: one dance. do you want? That one? Dance magic. Dance. Yes, do you want me to sing that? Yeah, will you? Which you want me to come from the top if you want. You remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Who do you do? Do Ooh. what? Mommy of the babe. I saw my baby. I saw my baby crying, crying hard, as hard as babes could cry. What should I do? My baby's come and go. I don't know.
1: Something left my baby. Through.
0: Nobody knew. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Next Nobody murder. Nobody
1: knew. 367 wow. CE. What kind of Vindalanda, magic
0: spell? T- Are you really going to do that to me? Yeah, we? shut up.
1: 367 CE? What's CE?
0: I don't know. Is that like uh, Chris Evans? Yeah. I don't okay. Know.
1: At Vindolanda, a Roman fort near Hadrian's Wall in Britain, a 10 year old child is killed by a blow to the head and buried in a pit in the barrack room floor. The skeleton was discovered in 2010. Okay. So those are some of your first like murder cases. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So one of the others that I thought we could talk about, because I just always find it so fascinating, is Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 whacks.
0: That's what they say. Yeah? Yeah. It's a common saying. Do
1: you think she did it?
0: Well, um, uh, I've never dug into Lizzie Borden, to be honest with you.
1: I think Lizzie's a very interesting character. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, her story doesn't quite hold up, but I, you know, I don't know if she did it.
0: Why doesn't her story hold up?
1: Let's talk about it. And I've always wanted to go to Falls River, Mass., and we actually have a listener on Instagram who's from that area and has suggested a couple of cases like in that area. Really? Oh, you should come up here. Yeah.
0: Okay. Falls River, Mass.
1: Yeah, and i lived in Massachusetts for a little bit, but oh I Oh,
0: God. Shut
1: up. I lived outside of...
0: state-dropping. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I
1: lived outside of Worcester.
0: Oh, God, really?
1: <laughs> in this little town called Sutton Mass, and, you know, that's one of the things I really regret about having lived in Massachusetts is I didn't make it to Salem, and I didn't make it to Falls River.
0: What the fuck, dude? Well,
1: we could make a road trip, Dylan.
0: No, we could, but we if I was up there, I would road... go to those places. Well, yes,
1: yeah, we take a road trip. We're going to go to Salem, and we're going to go to Falls River.
0: So you weren't, like, um, goal-oriented
1: back then? Well, no, I was. I guess I just didn't go because it was cold. <laughs> it was winter, and winter You wanted sucked. to stay inside, didn't There's you? There's a lot of mass holes. That's what they call them. The drivers there, they fucking suck. <clears throat> Sorry, if you're from Massachusetts, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> go Red Sox. Red Sox nation. I don't know. I was always a Boston Celtics fan as a kid.
0: Oh, why would you, they
1: fucking love Larry Bird?
0: You just jumped sports. Woo! I you know. went from baseball to hey, look, basketball. My
1: my baby daddy, my son's dad is from that area. Yeah, he's a huge fan. So my little boy yeah. loves the Red Sox.
0: Tom Brady sucks.
1: He fucking loves the Patriots. Don't say that because you know my kids always like walking around in a Patriots T-shirt.
0: Well, no, you're I would never say that little, to his face.
1: You're not hurt his feelings. Okay. I hate
0: the Patriots.
1: Well, don't tell that. I won't. Lizzie Borden. Yeah. Okay, enough. Are you ready? Let's focus. I should take my Ritalin. Okay, anyway. On a hot August day in 1892, an assailant rained 19 blows on the back of Abby Borden's head with a hatchet before delivering 11 more to the face of her husband, Andrew, Mm. as he lay sleeping.
0: That's brutal.
1: A medical examiner later surmised that the couple had been killed roughly two hours apart.
0: How's that work?
1: At 6 15 that morning, the Bordens Living Maid, her name was Bridget O'Sullivan. She woke up to gather firewood from the basement of their home, which was at ninety two second street in Fall River. About ten minutes later, Abby came into the kitchen, and by seven AM she had been joined at the breakfast table by her husband. Soon after, Andrew's youngest daughter Lizzie arrived, she was wearing a blue dress. Abby had asked Bridget to wash the downstairs windows and then headed upstairs to change the pillow slips in the guest bedroom.
0: Because that's a big deal. It needs to be done.
1: Make sure you fluff up the pillow slips.
0: Fresh pillow slips for the company.
1: Well, I know. That's all I do all day is just lounge with my freshly manicured nails on fluffy pillows with fresh pillow slips.
0: Delivered to you by Olive Skin Males.
1: What? I don't know. <laughs> you mean like gorgeous Greek men who just want to feed me olives and fan me?
0: Basically. This is okay. That's what I mean. How did you know that? That's what I was picturing in my head.
1: Maybe you just know my fantasies? Yeah, i don't some know. hot
0: fucking dude.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, can we trade like that for maybe like a Dries Elba is like fanning me and feeding me? Ooh,
0: olives? multiple Dries Elbas. But
1: he's like dressed like James I Bond. I would let him
0: bring me no, yeah. no clothes, a loincloth.
1: No, I want him to be dressed like James Bond.
0: Really? Yeah. In the suit? Really? That's a big guy.
1: He, I know. I would climb him a With like big up.
0: shoulders? Yeah. I want him to bring me stuff too. He's Is pretty. that weird?
1: No, he's pretty. He could totally bring you stuff.
0: No, but I, I feel like he'd be good at bringing people stuff. Okay. Satisfying their needs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: like in a Drees Elba Tom Hardy situation.
0: Yeah, but Those you know that Tom Hardy's tainted, though.
1: British men are You've so seen hot. his
0: weird dick. I not about that. But it's true, though. Okay,
1: let's get back to Lizzie Barton. All right. At 9 a.m., Andrew left to run some errands. When he returned, around 10.30 a.m., Bridget heard him, like, struggling to unlock the main door, and then she, you know, entered in, helped him get the door open. She saw that the spring lock had fastened, and then at some point heard Lizzie kind of laughing upstairs. Okay. Which is an odd detail. but
0: Pretty creepy. But should
1: hang on to that. Andrew went into the sitting room. The maid continued working again. She's you know, washing the windows, cleaning the windows. Lizzie comes downstairs, speaks to her father. Bridget overheard her say that Abby, the stepmother, had received a note from a sick friend and was going to go visit her. Or that's where she was gone at the time. Bridget moved on to the dining room, washing windows there. And Lizzie came in and started ironing some clothes, you know, just making small talk as she did this. Okay. I imagine ironing clothes back then was probably quite a test. Well, you you had the iron, the irons on the fire.
0: Yeah, so literally you're heating it by the fire, right? Yeah. Yeah, what year are we in?
1: Oh, this is like 1892,
0: babe. Oh, yeah. So there's no electricity. Is that right? Yeah, that's right.
1: Feeling kind of tired and I guess just generally like not feeling well for some reason, Bridget told Lizzie she was going to retire upstairs, take a nap. And she went up there to her room. While she was lying in bed, she heard the city hall bell chime, which was at 11 o'clock. That's okay. how she kind of knew what time it was. Right. Around eleven ten, Bridget heard Lizzie call out to her Maggie, which is what they called Bridget. I guess it was like her nickname.
0: Makes sense.
1: Like come quick, father's dead. Someone came in,
0: killed him. With well, a hatchet.
1: Bridget hatchet. rushed downstairs to find Lizzie in a hallway, um, and she told her that Andrew's murdered body was basically, you know, in this room, and asked her to go find the doctor. And unable to locate him, Bridget returns back to the house. Okay. In the meantime, the Borden's neighbor, a woman named Adelaide Churchill, had come by to see what all the fuss was about. She found Lizzie distraught, tried to comfort her. Lizzie explained that she had been in the barn when she heard a groan coming from inside the house. Entering, I guess, upon entering, she had found that her father was dead on the couch. When Mrs. Churchill asked about Abby, Lizzie told her that she was out visiting a friend. It was shortly after this that Bridget suggested that she try to find her stepmother Abby. Lizzie said she thought she had heard her return, but wasn't sure. Then, of course, the neighbor was still hanging around. Bridget decided to check upstairs, and as soon as she, you know, walks into the guest bedroom, she finds Abby. She finds Abby laying there bloodied, corpse lying face down, just a mess.
0: Okay. That's That's crazy. Could you imagine? No. Being called to view the scene?
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Around 1145 or so, there were lots of police officers who made their way to the house. They began searching it. There was no sign of forced entry, no burglary that they could find. The front and cellar doors were locked, and there was blood on the victim's ceiling and the walls, but nowhere else.
0: Yeah, there's going to be so much cast-off blood evidence. Dexter from this,
1: would just have a ball there, right? From
0: this, uh, yeah, from this attack.
1: Inside the cellar, Bridget let an officer check that out, and he found a box containing two axes, one plastered with blood and hair, and a recently broken hatchet head which had been caked in ash. Lizzie was questioned by the deputy marshal about. You know, her movements that day, what she'd been doing, where she had been, you know, these types of things. Typical questions that you would ask someone during a murder interrogation. She said she had spent the morning ironing clothes. When her father had come home tired, she had taken off his shoes while he napped on the sofa. Then she went to the barn for about 15 or 20 minutes to look for some lead to make fishing sinkers.
0: Yeah, because that's a common occurrence, right?
1: She said she hadn't seen her stepmother because she'd went to visit a sick friend. An officer inspected the barn to confirm Lizzie's alibi. It was pretty humid that day and windless, So he doubted her story because he didn't see any footprints in the heavy dust that would have supported this theory that she was in the barn. Wow. On August 11th, Lizzie was arrested for the murder of her parents. They... We're trying to allege that the motive was that her father was going to write her out of his will and leave his belongings and estate to her stepmother. Oh, yeah. At first, it seemed like the case wasn't going to go to trial. But they had an inquest, and it was reported that some passing um, like peddler, like a salesman,
0: like a, a, snake door-to-door, like salesman? a door-to-door person, okay. had
1: seen a woman walking from the yard <clears throat> to the side door of the house that kind of supported Lizzie's alibi that maybe she had been out in the barn. Yeah. Doing the things that she claimed she was out there doing. There was also a doctor from Harvard that said the blood and the hair on the axe belonged to a cow.
0: Okay, so who
1: didn't even belong to her parents.
0: Yeah. I mean, did, could he really tell that back then? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's that's weird. I've never heard that before.
1: Lizzie's best friend had claimed that she had seen Lizzie burning a blue dress in the kitchen stove days after the slayings. so they went ahead and brought the murder charge against her. Yeah. Lizzie Borden's trial began in 1893. It was on June 20th. After just 90 minutes of deliberation, the jury found her not guilty. Lizzie used her inheritance to buy a house on the affluent side of Falls River, Massachusetts. She died there in 1927.
0: So she got the inheritance anyway.
1: She got all of the money. Yeah. Okay. She did have a sister. And I believe she and her sister did live together.
0: Yeah. And
1: Lizzie remained unmarried. Yeah. And from what I've researched, she was kind of like, after this all happened, she had a lot of notoriety, of course. Right. But she was like the life of the party. So. (laughs) Like, people, she would throw these elaborate parties, entertained. I mean, she was like a socialite.
0: So she won out, if you will, yeah. even, if, even though she was put on trial?
1: Well, the Borden's unsolved murder remains a source of fascination. There's a lot of theories <laughs> floating around. Some make sense. Of course, some are just sort of laughable. You never really know with these murder theories. A lot of people, you know, have tried to conclude who may have killed the Bordens, why someone would have wanted them dead. I mean, most people believe Lizzie was the
0: culprit. Yeah. Lizzie Borden, 40 wax, right?
1: There's some evidence raised by the prosecution that makes sense. Her window of opportunity was there. Of course, it was a hot, dusty barn with no footprints. It's kind of an odd thing. She burned the dress. She gave inconsistent statements.
0: And she ended up with all the inheritance.
1: However, there were two pieces of evidence that really stand out. Lizzie was the only person to have stood on the landing while her stepmother lay dead in the guest room. A scene that, like, Bridget and the neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, had come across. And although Lizzie said she had removed her father's shoes, they were actually still in the crime scene photo. He was wearing them. So that wasn't true. truth. That didn't happen.
0: Well, that's weird.
1: But, I mean, if you think about it, this is something that you do quite often. Like, your dad comes home at a certain time to take a nap every day or something.
0: You Take his shoes off?
1: Maybe you help take his shoes off.
0: Who the fuck does that?
1: Well, maybe he's elderly.
0: Back then? Maybe. you. Know, you are, I'm not going to take anybody's fucking were shoes off. Children probably
1: much more subservient. Than if you can't
0: Ellen. kick your fucking shoes off when you get home, you shouldn't be out and about in the world. That's my opinion on that.
1: Well, you know, some people talk about I'm Lizzie, take,
0: I'll take your shoes off.
1: And they talk about her character, and they're like, you know, she was this, like, kind Sunday school teacher type. She was very active in local charities.
0: She liked to swing and that.
1: Others talk about how she was really ill-tempered and a bit of a kleptomaniac. And then at one point, she decapitated her stepmother's cat because it was annoying her.
0: Okay, that's pretty, pretty weird.
1: Now, there is a lot of talk about how Lizzie, I mean, she was 32 years old and unmarried, which at that time was like, oh, an
0: old maid. She's a
1: spinster. Yeah, exactly. And her father was really wealthy, but he was really cheap.
0: Oh, okay. So he was wealthy, but he was like a.
1: Very frugal. Yeah. And Lizzie, like, wanted. To buy new dresses, new hats, new clothes. Like she wanted to go to parties and make the scene. And he was really cheap. He didn't want her spending money on things like that. And he also didn't want her going out and like socializing because she was unaccompanied, didn't yeah. have a chaperone, was unmarried.
0: Oh, okay. And he okay. just didn't feel
1: like it was proper for her.
0: Well, I guess so there that was can a be lot a of pretty... speculation
1: that that was a point of contention, right? In this
0: relationship. I can see that.
1: Rumors have surfaced. And of course, this is all speculation, that Lizzie engaged in incest, whether it was consensual or not, with her uncle and her father, which is kind of nuts, that there was a locked door leading from her bedroom to Andrew's with a bureau pushed against it, which people thought was evidence that she was, like, trying to keep her dad away from her at night.
0: Oh, okay.
1: She was certainly a habitual thief. Apparently, (laughs) She had gotten accused of shoplifting multiple times, and her dad had managed to protect her from prosecution a few times. Like, there was a painting that she was caught shoplifting, and he managed to keep the matter out of court.
0: Oh, wow.
1: To avoid her prosecution. And the jury acquitted Lizzie on the grounds that the evidence against her was mainly circumstantial, but most likely because the Victorian mindset just couldn't comprehend that this upper-middle-class woman could commit such a brutal act is... Of stealing? ...why she got away with the murder case. Because people just couldn't understand, like, how a woman could murder her own parents.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, even to this day, that would be shocking, honestly, right?
1: Well, yeah, but we do see more of that, like, matricide, patricide kind of thing happening. Yeah,
0: but, I mean, even, like, what the the Crystal Howe story, right, we covered? It's shocking when a female kills her parents or her father. Right. Right? I mean, maybe that yeah, comes I mean, from I a sexist point of view
1: in, in society.
0: Like, they don't think the female's capable of that or whatever. But, yeah, I think even to this day that, that um, kind of gives people pause when they see that.
1: Yeah, it does. But I think it's rooted in these very
0: antiquated. Not ideas to say that women aren't capable of killing rules. people. Right. They are, totally. They've been doing it for a long time.
1: The case I want to talk about next is the Black Dahlia murder. So a case that fascinates me, the Black Dahlia. And if you want to get further into the story, a little deeper than we go, obviously, check out Hollywood and Crime. I listened to a great, it's like their first season. They have an awesome, like, you know, full season that explores all of the Black Dahlia theories. There were multiple, like, murders in Los Angeles of women during this time that they could either be tied together or maybe there was just, like, a lot of people murdering women at that time. I don't know.
0: No, that's, that's <laughs> so fascinating. so interesting. I've listened to it because you told me about it. And um, that's very fascinating. Some of the possible connections between multiple victims there in Yeah, it's really, LA.
1: really cool. So we're skipping ahead to the 40s. We were back in the 1890s. Now we're in the 1940s. On a winter morning, maybe around like 10 a.m. or so, Betty Berzinger went for a walk next to this vacant lot, which was in the southeast, I'm sorry, southwestern part of Los Angeles. She stumbled upon a disturbing scene, as you can imagine, lying next to the sidewalk at West 39th Street and South Norton Avenue, an area in Limerick Park. Known as a lover's lane, there was this body of a naked woman and she was mutilated.
0: Yeah, and like posed, right? The discovery
1: I'm... on January 15th, 1947, led the LAPD to launch the largest manhunt in the city's history. So many man hours put into this case, especially if you look at it over the course of these like decades. Right. The body had been cleanly severed at the waist drained of blood, bathed, and positioned with the lower half, about one foot away from the upper half. The victim's greenish-blue eyes were open, and her hands were positioned by her head with elbows bent. Her legs were wide apart. She had rope burns on her wrists, ankles, and neck, while her arms, left thigh, and right breast all featured deep lacerations.
0: So she was completely severed at the waist?
1: Yeah. And drained of blood.
0: Oh, my God. I didn't remember that part.
1: Each corner of her mouth had been cut, creating this chilling impression that she was, like, smiling.
0: Like a joker smile? It's
1: really garish. Yes, like a joker smile.
0: Holy shit.
1: According to a report by the University of Southern California's College of Education, the letters BD had been carved into her thigh. However, this claim is still debated. Okay. On whether that's true or not.
0: Whether or not it was a BD?
1: Right. LAPD homicide detectives, a guy named Fennis Brown and Harry Hansen, arrived. They scoured the scene, but not before the press had already ascended and started taking a bunch of photographs. However, despite this extensive injury, I guess, to this woman's body, the severity of these injuries, her body had been so carefully scrubbed clean that there was little physical evidence that could be found.
0: Well, yeah, and this was a, back in, what, 1940s, right?
1: Yeah, baby, this was like 46.
0: Yeah, so forensic science was non-existent. No, I'm sorry,
1: this was 47.
0: But they still took the time to clean the body and make sure there's no evidence left behind. That's and pretty it wild. it took some
1: time to identify her body. They had to use fingerprints to figure out who she was. And now this is a time when they didn't have computers to generate fingerprints and do the key point searches and all that. Right. So people were were physically. Literally, physically combing through fingerprint files.
0: And someone was saying, oh, this fingerprint. And
1: matching them up.
0: Fingerprint looks good, comparable to this other example of a fingerprint.
1: like a tedious job.
0: Wow. It sounds like it.
1: They identified her as 22-year-old Elizabeth Short. She was an aspiring actress from what reports state. (laughs) But the detective surmised that she had been killed elsewhere and had been driven to this vacant lot. She hadn't been killed there. A Dr. Frederick Newbar, who was the chief coroner for L.A. County, ruled that the cause of death was a brain hemorrhage due to a concussion combined with blood loss and this was coming from those lacerations that she had to her face.
0: I was going to guess when she was a Cut in two. Probably killed her.
1: Well, they think. I'm they, just.
0: Yeah. Was that post-mortem, they yeah, think? they think that's probably really? after the fact. Really? Wow. That's, that says a lot, I guess.
1: So, here's what they found out about her, you know, last kind of movements and what she had been doing leading up to her murder. Like I said, you've got to listen to that Hollywood and Crime, Black you Dahlia. Do. Because it really goes into great detail about what she had been doing exactly. But we're just going to touch on a little bit of that. Beginning in May of 1946, Short had, for several months, rented a room at a Hollywood home, which was behind a nightclub called the Florentine Gardens, and she'd worked there as a waitress. She had made contacts with some movie business people, um, but she wasn't really doing very well as far as trying to land roles. Like, some people talked about how she would try to do screen tests back then. Yeah, and that she she hailed from like the Boston, Massachusetts kind of area, and she had such a heavy accent that when she went in to do screen testing, they were just like, no.
0: She's like bastard.
1: She had like a really heavy accent. Go to the and yard and park not the car for okay talkies. Yeah, and even though she was pretty and she had a, a good look, she just wasn't going to work for movies. At some point, she had apparently been promised a role in, like, a burlesque review at that nightclub where she lived nearby. She shared news with her mom in a letter, which was dated January 2nd, 1947. It was the last correspondence she would get from her, or she would send it to her mom. So it was, like, the last correspondence her mom would get from her Okay. before she was killed. On Thursday, January the 9th, short returned from a trip to San Diego with a guy named Robert Manley, who was a married salesman that she'd been dating. And again, if you do a lot of research into Elizabeth short, she had a ton of boyfriends.
0: She was just doing her, if you will.
1: She had a lot of boyfriends.
0: She was living life. It was,
1: de- you know, it was like during the <clears throat> um, 40s. The war had been right. in full swing. She's young, there's a lot of soldiers, sailors, airmen about. She's starting, like, these long-distance kinds of relationships, pen-pal relationships.
0: Yeah, it She's just
1: a girl about town.
0: It doesn't seem that... It seems that like she was uh, perpetually single, for the most part, and she just did whatever she wanted to do, which there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're not going to dive too much into her background, but just from what I understand, she was kind of a freeloader. She would live someplace for a bit until the rent was due again, and she'd pack up and move, and she was kind of a liberty gibbet, like she was all over the place, kind yeah. of flighty. She didn't really want to work and hold any kind of steady job. But she was also
0: known to have dressed nicely.
1: She didn't really have money, and she, she would often bum money from people, yeah. or she would try to hang out with people that she thought might pick up the tab. Right.
0: But she was also known to, um, you know, be, like I said...
1: But she was always very concerned with her look, her and, clothes.
0: And um yes. presented in a certain way, which led some to speculate, you know, where did she get these funds for so many things? Well,
1: there's been a lot of speculation that she perhaps was a sex worker.
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: was making money that way. Hello. I mean, which, hey, let's face it, that's the oldest profession in the book.
0: Hey, I would I swap that debit card.
1: A, a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. I know. It's the, uh, the oldest form of currency still in use.
0: If I had one, I would cash it in.
1: (laughs) This guy, Robert Manley, he was known as Red, he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel where she was visiting her sister. Short, wearing a black tailored suit, shown matching suede high heels, was seen using the lobby telephone and then leaving the hotel on foot. She headed south on Olive Street and walked about five minutes to the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge, where people recall seeing her stop by as if maybe she were looking for someone. Okay. Six days later at dawn on Wednesday the 15th, a black luxury sedan driven by an unidentified driver briefly parked next to the vacant lot and then by early morning Elizabeth Short's body was discovered. That's about all they know.
0: Could you imagine finding it in the state that it was in? I think that's why it's such a Kind of a, I don't know how to say it,
1: like a. I think it was just so fucking shocking.
0: Yeah, very shocking. And um, it's like Grizzly. everybody knows about the Black Dahlia murder. The reason it was given such a, you know, coined phrase, if you will. And I don't know. It was. um,
1: It was just the kind of true crime story that was going to make headlines. And especially at this time.
0: That's what I was trying to say. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just this is a story. salacious they say if it I mean it bleeds, has all it, leads.
0: it has all the elements, And you this know? is definitely
1: a story. You have this though.
0: young beautiful woman, no one knows what exactly happened. She was left in cut in half essentially in this very strange pose. I mean, yeah. I mean, my god, wouldn't it be incredible if they finally got an answer to that one?
1: On January 21st, the city editor of the Los Angeles Herald Examiner got a phone call from a man claiming to be Short's killer. The caller congratulated the paper for its work on the case, but suggested that it may have run out of material. They offered assistance. He told the paper that he was going to turn himself in, but he wanted police to keep chasing him. And he was like, Hey, you're gonna get some souvenirs in the mail. On January 24th, a postal worker came across a manila envelope featuring words and individual letters cut that were pasted from the newspaper. On it was written Los Angeles Examiner and other LA newspapers. Here is the Dahlia's belongings letter to follow. So inside they had a copy of Short's birth certificate, her social security card, photographs, and an address book embossed with the name Mark Hansen. Three more letters were received from a person who identified themselves as the Black Dahlia Avenger. The first was handwritten in ink on a postcard and was like, here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th. Had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger. Wow. The second letter, again, had like the cutout letters. So we're in like a comic book or something. <laughs> and it was like, Dahlia killer cracking wants terms. However, a third letter indicated the killer's change of heart. It was cut and pasted from newspaper letters, and it said, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified.
0: Okay. Uh, I did not know that about letters.
1: Now, early in the investigation, LAPD interviewed more than 150 men as potential suspects. A friend named Ann Toth, who, you know, was a buddy of Elizabeth Schwartz, and I think they'd been roommates for a little bit, Had told detectives that the guy Mark Hansen had tried to seduce her and she'd rejected him, the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short. So Hansen became a number one suspect. And you may be asking, like, who was this Mark Hansen person? And I'm pretty sure that he owned that nightclub, the Florentine Garden, where she was offered the like job as a burlesque dancer or something. He was like he'd been like her landlord and owned that club. All right. Just in case you were curious about that, I probably didn't clarify. Police recovered Short's handbag and a shoe from the top of a trash can about two miles from where her body was found. The items had been wiped clean with gasoline, erasing any fingerprints. Mark Hansen identified the person she was belonging to Short but denied using the address book bearing his name. No charges were ever brought against him and he was released. Attention then turned to the guy Robert Manley. He was officially named as a suspect, interviewed. He denied knowing Short in the beginning, but then changed his story. He did pass two polygraph tests and was released. For several months, the murder dominated the front pages of newspapers as the media just sensationalized the life and death of Elizabeth Short. And of course, the more information that started coming out about her, her boyfriends, her past, You know, they were kind of painting her as this little spicy thing about town.
0: Mama. yeah.
1: So people were really interested in that. And because she was always known for wearing black clothing, and she would often wear a Dahlia flower in her hair that was also dyed black. The hair, not the Dahlia. People started referring to her as the Black Dahlia. And so it became known as the Black Dahlia Murder. The murder investigation slowed until the summer of 1949, when 36-year-old Louise Springer, a beauty shop worker, was found garroted in the back seat of her husband's car, one block from where Elizabeth Short's remains were found.
0: Garroted? A garrot? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So strangled with a garrot? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Yeah.
1: I've been drinking. I don't.
0: No, it's fine, but <laughs> that's like a French term, if it isn't it. Mm-hmm. So police yeah, believe so that a, yeah. the
1: killer had struck again. They thought these two cases may have been tied. They launched another manhunt, probing both murders. But then eventually concluded that they do not think these cases were related at all.
0: Oh yeah, that's basically saying they don't know.
1: Despite this long investigation, the Black Dahlia murder remains unsolved even today. Of course, many attempts have been made since to profile the killer. Some experts believe that he was a medically trained person, this killer.
0: if you cut someone in half? I mean, come on.
1: That he was male, obviously, and then he cra- craved, like, the spotlight.
0: Well, he got it, if that's what he was after. Because, I mean, to this day, that was one of the, the most infamous murders ever, right?
1: Oh, totally. There was, like, 500 people who confessed to killing Elizabeth Short. Oh, over the course of some years, the mass majority of people that claimed they had murdered her were ruled out and believed to just be sort of like attention seekers.
0: Okay, crackpots. Yeah. All right.
1: Um, experts have also expressed some doubts that those letters that were sent by this black dolly avenger avenger were even real. Really. And were probably just a ploy or another whack job trying to just get some fame all right elizabeth short by the way was known as Beth to her friends some people called her betty she again was from massachusetts her father had built mini golf courses and he at some point had abandoned the family um around the great depression time so she grew up with her mom Um, she was sent to florida at some point because she had asthma and they were hoping that it might help her health it was during this time that she met a guy in the air force and um went to vallejo, california to live with her father. They didn't really get along. At that point, I think her father maybe owned a little cafe or something and he had given her a job and she just refused to like work and the deal was she would come live with him in exchange for like room and board. She would basically do all the house cleaning and you know, take care of the house and he said she was just really lazy and wouldn't do anything, so they had a lot of arguments and eventually he just kicked her out. So, they didn't have a good relationship. She left her father's, moved to Santa Barbara. She was arrested there for underage drinking, hence the fingerprints. They were Uh. able to identify her. She did have a police record, but it was just for underage drinking. A judge ordered her to return back home to Medford, Massachusetts, but instead she went to Florida for a little bit. She told her friends that she and this guy named Matthew Gordon, who was in the Air Force, were engaged to be married. He was killed. In World War II, in 1945, less than a week before the end of the war, that year she returned to Medford, Mass, but soon was very restless, went back to L.A. It was in 1946, she moved to Los Angeles, and it was shortly after um, her murder that Gordon's wedding announcement to another woman was found among her possessions. That was the other part of it, is that she would often tell people she had a fiancé in the military. Right. She was married she was gonna marry an officer. And then it would turn out that when they would track these guys down, they were like, Um, yeah, I have I a fiance. barely
0: know her. I
1: have a fiance or yeah. I just met her one night at like a yeah dance and we talked a little bit and that's it.
0: Right. Talked a little so bit. So she would
1: just tell people like these elaborate lies. And that was another part of like the background on Elizabeth Short that was kind of interesting. Is that
0: she just was really all over the place? Well, it like, sounds like she here, was just, crashing yeah. there. She was doing her own thing. Money. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Well, it is when you ain't got money to eat and you like ripping people off and shit.
0: Well, as long as you, well, I don't. <laughs> I, I've never seen evidence of an active scam she was pulling. She was just uh, suggesting things that guys could do for her along the way that would help her in her daily life. That's okay. Okay. Because she had that currency. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. that's uh, that ancient currency, the, the ancient oldest, currency. oldest profession, if you will.
1: That's true.
0: Maybe a little bit of that, but she definitely had fun. She was living her oh, life she was to a the fullest. Girl, for sure. She was having her, living her life to the fullest. It's really sad what happened to her, and I think we'll never get the answer. The straightforward well, you answer. You know, one of it. the
1: most interesting theories it has been put forth from an yeah. LAPD former detective named Steve Hodell who believes his father, I think his name is Dr. George Hodell. there's been like a mini-series, and I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about yeah, it. Yeah, He's pretty written big. some books about how his father, that was a doctor, um, murdered her. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, that kind of makes sense, I guess, the way she was eviscerated, if you will.
1: Well, I know that Steve Hodell had found in his father's possession a photo that he believed belonged to or belo- that was of the Black Dahlia. Really? That his father had taken at some point. So George Hodel, he's an interesting fella. He was, again, this doctor in Los Angeles, kind of a doctor to some of the rich and famous. There's been some stories that he would perform like abortions out of his house. Oh, legally, no. And that kind of thing. He was also at some point accused Of murdering his secretary, a woman named Ruth Spalding, supposedly murdered her to cover up his financial fraud because he was, like, billing patients for tests that were never performed. He had police and politicians as clients performing illegal abortion services. He had worked for the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, having gone to China for a time. Various aspects of the Black Dahlia case were believed to be in connection to surrealist art. Really? Dr. Hodel was a really big fan of surrealism and had wanted to be an artist at some point, And really liked the works of Man Ray. And that the Black Dahlia was supposedly like this ultimate surrealist art piece.
0: Okay. Never heard that shit before.
1: In late 1949, his daughter, a woman named Tamara, accused him of incest and sexual abuse and impregnating her and that he gave her, like, a back-alley abortion. There was, like, this really highly publicized trial. They had three witnesses who said they participated in sex acts along with Tam- Tamara and her dad. Okay. But he Damn. ended up, like, Basically making her look like a liar and then, you know, she'd made up this entire abuse allegation just for attention, that kind of thing. Then later, he becomes a suspect for the Black Dahlia murder. There's a whole file the LAPD has called George Hodel, the Black Dahlia file, and it was discovered in the LA District Attorney's Office. And the file revealed that in 1950 he was a prime suspect for the Dahlia murder. His private Hollywood residence had been bugged by an eighteen man DALAPD task force. And the transcripts of the conversations revealed Hodell's references to performing illegal abortions, giving payoffs to law enforcement, and his possible involvement in the deaths of his secretary and Elizabeth Short. They have a DA tape recording of him saying Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary.
0: What the fuck? I know, right? Seriously, right? Yeah. Okay. We just solved it.
1: <laughs> Maybe. We just
0: solved a Black Dahlia murder on Mountain Murders. Nah. Not think we did.
1: But some people have even thought that Steve Hodel could, or that, I'm sorry, Steve Hodell is the son, and his book was called Most Evil Avenger Zodiac and Further Serial Murders of Dr. George Hill Hodel. He concludes that he thinks that his dad may have even been involved in the Zodiac murders.
0: What the fuck?
1: From 68
0: to 69. Well, I, I heard a recent theory on that.
1: And that he also was involved in the Jigsaw Murder in the Philippines, Manila, Philippines, because he went to live there for a while.
0: I don't know about the Jigsaw murder.
1: Yeah, there's some pretty interesting stuff. So I heard an
0: interesting theory about Zodiac murder.
1: Yeah, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, on the last podcast on the left, kind of threw it out there that possibly the Zodiac murders were they a uh, hitman who had one one target, but did the multiple other murders. Just random murders to cover up the fact that we're killing this one person.
1: That's pretty elaborate. Isn't that cover crazy?
0: But it kind of has a little bit of credibility because of the way that Zodiac just disappeared and stopped.
1: It's a pretty hot take.
0: Isn't that a hot take?
1: I told you that my theory is that the Zodiac is actually the Texarkana killer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we covered that. We we yeah, went over that. Yeah, I
1: know. I've told you that before. Yeah, I know. I think the Texarkana killer evolved into the Zodiac.
0: That's possible. There's
1: like parallels. So
0: we just solved is. a lot of things tonight. Yeah. Just now.
1: No, I think Hodel is a very good suspect in the Black Dahlia. Why somewhere.
0: wouldn't he be? But, There's a huge file on him.
1: But then again, if you... He
0: sounds like a dick.
1: If you really dive into it, I mean, she was just so all over the place. And had so many dealings with so many random
0: guys, random guys. Let's be honest,
1: pissing them off because she's
0: like taking
1: money and yeah, just doing all the stuff she probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah, but who
0: kills someone and cuts them apart like that?
1: Somebody who's really pissed off
0: that has a look, yeah, but who's also a fucking psychopath. Well, yeah, okay, (laughs) so here we've been.
1: That is our uh, very drunk new episode we're not that drunk where we just talk about some random murders
0: i'm gonna call it mountain murders unplugged
1: are we gonna call it that
0: yeah okay (laughs) because i feel unplugged right
1: thanks for tuning in guys